Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M. and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, September 26, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book. We're beginning a new chapter, chapter 11, A Vision for You, which begins on page 151. And we'll be starting with that first paragraph from Most Normal Folks, Drinking Means. Now, today's readers are for the 12 steps, Leslie M., the 12 traditions, Lisa B. Our first reader will be Amanda R. and uh, Santa H. Um, and uh, the reference number for yesterday, which is Sunday, as our special edition meeting at 830, which was September 25th, 2016, is 9105. That's 9105, and it was a presentation entitled The Recovery Bank, given by a recovered compulsive overeater, Scott K. from New York City. All right, our OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lisa M., Leslie M., I'm sorry, Leslie M. to please read Overeaters 12 Steps. Good morning, Janice. This is Leslie M. from New York, and these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 8. 
made a li- no there we go nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others 10 continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it 11 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out 12 Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me do service, and I pass. And thank you so much, Leslie M. Okay, I will now ask Lisa B. to please read OA's 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. And thank you, Lisa B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share... Press star 1 to unmute. Now, once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone, except the um, speakers, should be muted. Okay. Um, again, today we are starting a new chapter in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Chapter 11, A Vision for You, which begins on page 1. 51, and we're going to ask Amanda R. if she would just begin reading paragraph one only, comments on it also. Thank you. Amanda? Good morning. This is Amanda R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. So I just want to double check, Jen. I'm reading down to and one more failure, correct? And one more failure, yes, ending with that. Thank you. Okay, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so here we go. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. But not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. Okay, so that's where the reading ends. And um, I think it's purely hilarious that I get up on a Monday morning and talk about normal folks. <laughs> what do I know? But I think I've met a few once somewhere, but I don't remember it very well. Seriously. Um, I, this, this paragraph, it reminds me of um, a year I spent studying abroad, and I was, I was uh, in Austria. So I was, I was near Italy, and I used to go down to Italy in a bunch. A bunch and there would be those, those sort of uh, eateries where... Um, families, little restaurants, families would get together and, my goodness, they would start eating what, what seemed to me crazy late, like 7 or 8 o'clock. They'd all start getting together and, and they'd be talking and eating and waving their hands and talking and laughing and it, it, it was just like, and it, those meals went on and on and on. Um, and I would just watch them and be like, oh my goodness, what a beautiful way to do things. And you know, I was already pretty far into the food addiction at that point. Um, but, you know, I sort of contrast that with my later years of food addiction when I was alone and it was like 7 o'clock at night and there was nothing to eat in my house, so I would go because I'd eaten it all. So I would go to the grocery store and get like a rotisserie chicken and I don't know what else, and eat the entire thing and be sitting there sad and alone with the bones of a rotisserie chicken. So, all right. Um, so you know, I wanted to be like those those Italian families and and just enjoy life and enjoy food, and it just it was not working. And and then um, I eventually got desperate enough to really look for a way, try it out, and eventually I even got desperate enough to work the steps. And and now you know I'm looking back. At this was a weekend ago, I was at my parents' house, and you know, we were, I wasn't sitting around over, you know, three or four courses of some Italian meal, but I was 
just laughing and enjoying myself and being with my parents and enjoying their company and, you know, relaxing and and more laughing and and the fact that that's possible that I'm not just waiting for them to leave because they work for the ambulance service I'm not waiting for them to get a call so I can eat all the ice cream in their freezer that I'm just like enjoying them um that that is an amazing turnaround and there's so many different um pieces of of ways you could approach this paragraph so I'm going to leave it to all you good people to do that and I pass thanks and thank you Amanda uh, for stepping up okay we're going to open up the meeting for three minute chairs who would like to begin Larry I heard Julie R I heard uh, Larry. I heard Melissa. I heard Melissa C. I heard Bella. I heard Nessa R. Let's go with those. And please forgive me, whom I missed. We have, we're going to go slow, so we don't have to finish everything right now. And we'll start with Julie R. Please. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Janice. This is Julie R. A recovered compulsive overeater from California. I just want to focus on that last sentence. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. I've been in OA since 1981, and I am coming up on two years of back-to-back clean black and white abstinence and being recovered again. So there's quite a bit of uh, time lapse there. On my, my last relapse that I had, uh, bear in mind that was just two years ago, and I was sitting amongst every kind. My bed was littered with every kind of wrapper box you could think of. And I was crying. And that night before, I was taking a shower. And I said, you know what? Maybe I am not a compulsive overeater. Bear in mind, I gained 70 of my 150 back. And I actually said that. That's the, that where my disease goes at that level. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to stop all away. No more meetings, not getting up at 4 a.m., not doing this, not calling any recovered people, and just see what happens. That was my last one more attempt. And thank God that next day, yet again, when I had all those wrappers, I had got a call from a program person who just said one simple sentence to me, what has always worked? And, um, and here I am. You know, because that's where my mind goes. I always had, you know, even in OA, as long as I was, you know, abstinent and not recovered, I was okay, per se. That's what I thought. And then I'd get back in the food. And then I would try every, I mean, I did all facets of OA, thinking that that next one was going to be the magic bullet, when all it is is in this book, the first 164 pages. So I, I pray that, you know, each day that I stay in that 10, 11, and 12, that my only attempt is to get up and the first things I think about is my creator and how can I be of service. So this disease is horrific, but the solution is phenomenal. Um, so, yes, even in OA, I, I, I wanted to have more attempts. But the exciting thing is, is that 
I don't have to worry about that one day at a time. So with that, I'll pass. And thank you so much, Julie R. Okay, Larry Kay, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Janice. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. The, uh, you know, the word that jumps out to me is this word uh, <clears throat> conviviality. I don't use that word typically in, uh, in my vocabulary. I don't know about you, but so I'm looking up the word conviviality. It, it, it speaks of uh, friendliness, uh, affability. There's another one I have to look up. Um, you know, good-natured, sociability, warmth, warmth, that's one. See, I remember as a, as a kid, say kid, I don't know why it stands out to me like a, like a, uh, a preteen. And um, I had an older cousin and we would, you know, what we would do in Chicago for fun, we were into, me and my brothers, we were into sports and, um, you know, we played all the sports and the little league and all that kind of stuff. And this older cousin that was probably about 10 years or so, our senior, um, he would take us to, uh, you know, to some Chicago area games, uh, a Blackhawks hockey game or a Bears, Chicago Bears game. Um, not much exciting uh, excitement these days. Um, but back then, you know, there was some fun and there was a lot of conviviality and it was all around food. And there was a sociability and there was um, laughter and more food. And it just was food was love. Can you relate? Food was love, you know, you know, and, and, and if I juxtapose, there's another word, I don't know what it means, but it seems to work. If I juxtapose that thought with, um, you know, towards the end of my binge, my binge, uh, binges, you know, prior to becoming spiritually awakened as the result of these steps. And when I put the food down and, and things began to change slowly. Um, but you know, some of those binges were, it was just horror. It was like, um, a vision of me, you know, in a car. At first, there was no conviviality. I was alone. I was, uh, I was numb. I was dead in my, you know, I wasn't dead the last breath death, but I was like a zombie dead with the food, surrounded with the food, unhappiness, you know, the clothes bursting, you know, at my, my fat body. Um, this, there was no conviviality. There was no socio, sociability or, or any connection with other human beings. It was purely to numb out like heroin or something along those lines, you know. It, um, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we look at the way things used to be and we look at, you know, um, we look at how it was with our last binges. And, and, and when I look at my life today, it's not perfect. Your your life probably isn't perfect. Maybe Janice's is, but ours ours <laughs> it's not perfect, right? You know, but but today it's so much better, right? It's so much better as the result of this spiritual this spiritual program. This is a design for living that really works. It's extraordinary. And with that I'll pass. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Larry Kay. <laughs> Melissa C, it's your turn. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I I have to almost laugh, um, you know, when I think for a second that I can eat recreationally. You know, that's sort of what this is describing here, that that the joy and the fun of eating, um, you know, it's I could laugh or I could cry because, um you know, there was a real part of me um, that was so sad 
to have to face the reality that there was no more pleasure left in the food. And um, and I couldn't even recall when it had been pleasurable. Like, it just, um, that was a fantasy. Because for me, um, in, in my disease, um, I, you know, if it felt good, I did it until it hurt. And so it's, it's like that lie I start off believing, that I'm just going to have a few bites with people. It's fun. And then I don't care who's in the room anymore because all I want is the food. And, you know, um, I had an experience over the weekend. I went to um, my brother's house. My brother's um, one of his sons is getting married. He just became engaged, and they had a, a beautiful cocktail party, you know, engagement party. Um, you know, and in the past, yeah, here's joy, conviviality. You know, they're going to have a toast, and there's all, and it was a, just, I mean, I laughed because it was a cocktail and dessert party. You know, clearly there was nothing food-wise joyful for me there. But, um, I, you know, I take care of my needs. I ate before I went because food is not recreation for me anymore. It's, it's um, you know, it's um, nutrition. And so, and I know that. Um, that shit failed. And so I, I was able to go to this event and actually experience conviviality, joy, all those emotional, beautiful things um, that are no longer attached to the food. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Well, and thank you, Melissa C. Just a gentle reminder once more, everyone, press star one to mute your phone, okay? Except Bella. Good morning. You can unmute. It's your turn. Good morning. Thank you, Janice. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing the service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. For most normal folks, yes, before the program, I believe that I am not normal. You know, everybody, everybody can eat normal, can eat and can stop, and I cannot. Most probably something is wrong with me. And because I believed that I am not normal, I ran again and again and again to the food. The food was like Laurie said, was love, but it was also my enemy. It was like a paradox. It was a love and it was an enemy. So I didn't know something else, so I ran to the food. For me, food was social. To be in a party, to be with family, to be with friends is food. And because I am not normal, so, you know, I didn't know how to manage Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And today, by leaving the steps one day at a time, by being connected to a loving power, yes, I know, I am normal. Thank you, God. I am normal human being. And thank you, God, I got a present to be a compulsive overeater. And yes, as a compulsive overeater, I am not normal in the food. Yes, and thank you, God. I know that I have my alcoholic food that I cannot touch them because as soon as I touch them, I act not normal. And thank you, God, by leaving the steps one day at a time. Today, for me, food is like gasoline to a car. You know, I need, to, I need the food to be connected to God 
but not to be happy and excited. Today I have the tools, thank you God, to be, to live in freedom and to know that the food is there, but not as an enjoyment. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Well, thank you, Bella. Okay, Nessa R, it's your turn. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, well, I, I don't have anything much different to share, just my own personal version of what has already been shared. But, you know, I was very little when I discovered the pleasures of, of food, you know, and I truly loved the taste of the food, you know, food that I, I wanted to eat over and over again. I guess when I was four or five or six. And of course, I also had the uh, wonderful associations with family and love and good times. You know, remembering the uh, my family outings and the beautiful picnics that accompanied those those uh, those daytime trips to the outskirts of the city and all that. But you know, it didn't stay there. You know, the the disease is progressive, and it didn't didn't stay there. And soon after, I discovered. Um, another effect of the food, which is we numbed up my feelings. And all those uncomfortable feelings, whether they were uh, positive feelings like, you know, happiness, excitement, or not so good feelings like anxiety and sadness, you know, I could drown them out with food. And, you know, it came to a point with the end of my overeating um, compulsive um, career where I was eating, you know, to numb out not only those feelings, but also the feelings of uh, shame, guilt, fear, and remorse that would arise after every binge. So I was binging to forget the previous binge. It was like the sickest idea of all, like the sickest um, uh, binge of all. You know, I I would emerge remorseful after every binge and swear I wouldn't do it again. And I felt so bad that the only thing I could think of to to to, um, to to help myself with with more food, you know, like food was my solution to everything, um, even to the, the fear, shame, guilt, and remorse of the previous binge. It was uh, it, it was incredible, um, just to show how progressive the disease is. But the beauty is that you know through the process, I found God who got me out of that horrible cycle. And the recovery that ensued has also been progressive. You know, the, the more I continue working the steps, the more I do steps 10 and 11, the more I work with uh, sponsors and newcomers taking them to, to, uh, to the steps, uh, the more I recover and the higher spiritual height I, I reach to the point that when I have intense feelings, of happiness or anxiety or fears, I no longer need to go to the food. I can go to God. I can use the steps that I have learned to help me um, deal with what's going on in, a, in an adult, mature way that doesn't involve food at all. And food is just an issue in my life now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, for this program. Thank you, God, for the willingness to have worked the steps and to continue working the steps every day because I don't want to go back to uh, to drowning out a binge with another binge. And then that's time. Yep. Time? 
I guess she heard me. All right. Um, kindly, now we're ready for another group of uh, members that would like to share. Who's next? Kim G. Kim G. I Oh, okay. I heard you, Kim Monica. Okay, Carol. We have Kim G. We have Carol G. Reva P. We have Reva P. Tina S. and Shannon S. That sounds good. And Monica, we'll get you in there, Monica T. Okay. Let's start with Kim G, please. Good morning to you. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovery compulsive reader and so excited to start this chapter and so great grateful for a group conscience that you know, has us getting right back into the chapters that can help our fellow suffering compulsive overeaters. And I love that the old pleasures are gone. They were but memories, you know. And I have to tell you, when I think of that, I always think of me going back and thinking about when I was eight years old on the Jersey Shore boardwalk, licking an ice cream cone and holding in one hand and my dad's hand in the other and giggling with him because I'm trying to lick the ice cream before it hits my hand. And I've always tried to chase that memory. And I have to tell you, I think that's sad. I'm 49 years old. And the, the, the best memory I can think of is when I was eight years old. That's how, that's how soon my disease started. You know, and what happens is when I romanticize those old pleasures are gone, it says here, you know, um, the, there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as he once did it and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control will enable us to do that. So what happens is when I romanticize that stuff, I forget about in college, going through fast food row, going to fast food drive-thru after fast food drive-thru, ordering food for me and an imaginary boyfriend. I forget about the fact that most of the weddings in my, in my um, 20s, I wasn't out on the dance floor. I was in the bathroom binging on the, all the things I could fit in my pockets. You know, that I was, spent a lot of time crying in the back of convenience stores as I was binging my brains out that I was driven by fear. And I wasn't just driven by fear when I was in the food. I was driven in the fear when I was abstinent only trying to control every aspect of my life so I wouldn't eat. You know, my 30th high school reunion was a couple years ago, and when I was deciding whether to go or not, the fact was that I don't have memories. I don't, know who, I don't remember my teachers. I hardly remember any activities, but I remember my weight every year. I remember taking out my school uniform every year because I kept um, – gaining weight. I remember going to bed at night saying, God, please make me a size 14 because I didn't want to shop in 16 plus, which was the popular plus girl store in my time. You know, I never prayed to stop eating. I just wanted the consequences to go away. You know, I think that I'm giving up this freedom to go where I want, when I want and eat how much I want. But really what it is, what am I giving up? I'm giving up isolation. I'm giving up depression. I'm giving up anxiety. But if I keep romanticizing that idea in my head, that's my disease trying to convince me it wasn't that bad. So it's so important for us to, 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 with a recovered person, look at our food history, look at what was food really doing for us. Because I have to tell you, it destroyed and eliminated most of my memories up to I came to like 30 years old. And with that, I passed. Well, thank you so much, Kim G. Carol G., it's your turn. Good morning, Janice. It's Carol G., Recovered Compulsive of Rita. Please yes. say hello. Oh, hi. Oh, thank you. Oh, yes. <laughs> hi, good morning, Vision for you. I always have to check because I always have trouble with the uh, the internet. Um, 
what actually um, spoke to me this morning was that heartbreaking obsession. Wow, that makes my heart feel so heavy. The one thing I had to be really clear on when I decided to do the work in the big book was, am I here for the relief or the re recovery? Because my heartbreaking obsession was never going to end. Um, I watched it take me back to the food time and time and time again. It's almost as if I went to a food festival at five and I left at the age of 45. And in all those years, I tried with absolute futility to control this thing. And I noticed that we all have this like inner gauge. I've been doing a lot of work with others at the moment. And I noticed that when people are trying to get control over something, over their body weight, shape, or food, they use a couple of tests, like a mirror test start gazing at ourselves to see whether we're thin enough or the touch test to see if we're fat here or fat there or if anyone else touches them in case they feel the fat or that kind of sound test. Am I getting into complaining? Am I getting into moaning and groaning? We're always looking for that. Am I okay? Am I okay? Um, it's a heartbreaking obsession. It really is. And it's something that I've lost. And what is it that I've really lost? I've lost self-reliance. I've lost self-propulsion and anything else beginning with the word self. And today, honestly, I don't want to find it again. I'm glad to have lost it. I'm better off without it. The past is the past and now is now. And I don't have the power to stop yearning either. It said yearning. If I stay in yearning for something, my mind will twist because it will twist and it will lure me back into a trap. I've got to get a new vision, march on with the new vision, listen with new eyes, listen with new ears, listen and see with new eyes and live in a recovered state because my imagination will become colourful and creative all over again. So all those old pleasures, just let them go. Yes, the food was pleasurable, but in the end it tried to take my life and friends don't do that. So I don't want to recapture binges and it never enters my head today. I'm having a wonderful aligned life, living without self. Thank you, everybody, and thank you, everybody, for the meeting every single day, and have a wonderful day. Bye. Pat. And thank you so much, Carol G. Reva P., it's your turn. Good morning. It's Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I love this chapter, and for me, this Vision for You, Chapter 11, is like a review, a synopsis of everything we've read before. And right now in these uh, first few paragraphs, it's reviewing what it was like. So what was it like? You know, there was a point in my life where I could tolerate different foods. Um, I don't remember exactly when, but it was there. But then for me, food was not about eating or fun or conviviality. Food was my drug. Instead of picking up narcotics or alcohol, I picked up food and it was used for different purposes than normal folks. So when I was in the food, um, yes, it turned against me and the old pleasures were gone and um, you know, I was miserable. But in abstinence only, I'm also miserable because I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. And I love how it says there's this yearning to enjoy life via control some kind of control, whether it's controlling the food with food plans and diets, um, whether it's controlling people through um, overt or covert manipulation, whether it's trying to control circumstances. I just want to enjoy my life. 
why can't I have X, Y, or Z? Um, and it says, I will never, never be able to do that. Never. It's broken. It's like the cucumber who became a pickle. I can never go back to the cucumber. I passed the point of no return. There is no going back. Um, so for me, the only way to enjoy life is to do the step work, get my defects out of the way, um, develop some access to this power greater than myself, and then who knew that this was a way to enjoy life? Never would I have thought this whole paradox of giving and then I feel better, um, relying on something other than me and then things work out. Um, so I love how it's reminding me and convincing me I have passed the point of no return and then it's going to show me what the vision is um, so that I can truly enjoy my life. With that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. Okay, uh, Tina S., it is your turn. Thanks, Janice. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in uh, Florida. Wow, heard some really, really great things this morning. I hope I don't get emotional, but I probably will. Uh, you know, I like what it talks about for most normal folks. And, I, you know, I've never been normal. And uh, it takes me back to, to when I was a kid. You know, and I'm 50, not 58 years old, going to be 59. And, um, you know, one of the things that I know is I always, you know, I come from an Italian family, and um, I would see the, the laughter, the conviviality, and all that stuff around the table, and all the food, and, you know, I never, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in, and, you know, my grandmother did a lot of uh, baking, and freezing, and canning, and stuff, so, you know, and she did, all, and she stored all this stuff in her basement to I, my memories are, I'm forever in the basement, in the freezer, with the you know, frozen uh, desserts, and you know, it's you know, I'm not up at the table laughing with the with the family there, you know, and and I can remember early on too, um, and this is where I get emotional. I can remember asking my dad, "Will you still love me if I just stay fat?" You know, and uh, what a gift today that that's not my life, and you know, and I used to ask other people that too, you know, in relationships early on in my life, and today, you know, I don't have to do that. You know, it's about who I am, not what I look like. And, and that's a gift from, you know, staying abstinent and um, being in the big, for me, being in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and doing the deal. That'll pass. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Tina S. Okay, Shannon S., please go ahead. Hi, guys. Shannon F. from Duluth, Minnesota, currently in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, so I want to focus on the line that says, um, uh, for most normal folks, um, drinking means conviviality. So I spent a lot of time in and out of recovery observing what the topic normal folks really means. And this is just from my scope um, of uh, awareness that makes me very grateful to have this disease in the first place. So I spent a lot of time with other people and I noticed that they didn't have enough pain like we compulsive overeaters do to really give up the substances that really deteriorate our wellness. So I would spend a lot of time like at events and around people that would go in and have their goals for wellness set over whatever it be with no drinking or not getting into the food at like a, a moderate amount of overeating. But then I would see them 
eat some of our binge substances and then have this pile of regret. And with having this disease and having to actually stay free from things like wedding cake and champagne or whatever it might be, um, I don't have to have that regret. And it's so awesome. You know, I, I find that like some people don't have enough pain like we do to really abstain from all of our stuff and make it clear and cut. And now, for example, when I'm at an event, um, instead of going to the wedding cake, I go to the wedding dance floor and I shake my tail feather and it's freaking amazing. So, I mean, it took a little while to get there, but the steps got me to like really seeing what new miracle embrace from life. Um, I can be at events now and really focus on connecting at a deeper intimate level with humanity um before i I, and and even i still experience this with other people they're still stuck on oh the chocolate fountain and the chocolate bar or whatever it is and i want to go beyond that you know and now that i'm out in albuquerque new mexico some of the normal eaters quote unquote want to go for things like milkshakes and instead i'm thinking like i want to go up to the mountains i want to go experience god in nature so I am, I'm grateful that I'm not a normal eater where I don't have enough pain to actually abide by certain boundaries with food substances. So I go beyond that and really start having enough pain to look for God and want to experience God. So um, at first I was not grateful for that. I was kind of, um, kind of TO'd. So, but I'm grateful that I'm there. I'm there now. I'm going deeper and deeper with it. So with that, I pass. Thanks guys. And thank you so much, Shannon. Okay, Monica T., it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. And what struck me this morning here was the title for Chapter 11, A Vision for You, Ability to See, Vision, Ability to See Something That You Imagine, a picture that you see in your mind. So that's the title of our chapter here, but this first paragraph is not giving me a very nice vision here. And Bill, once again, it was striking me how the, he gives us this title, a vision for you, but he's you know bopping us over the head or bopping me over the head here. I'm a great forgetter and reminding me of what, where I come from. And, you know, when I came in here, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I couldn't see what I couldn't see. And as a result of working the steps, God gave me a new set of lenses. And things are different today, thank you, God. But this is where I was when I came in here, and it's a good thing to be reminded of this, you know. There was that insistent, ever-present, continuous yearning, a desire, a craving to enjoy life as we once did, and a heart-breaking obsession. What's an obsession? A persistent and disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea or feeling. Heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control, some new diet, some new this, some new therapist, da da da, would enable me to finally be able to control my food. You know, I wanted to control my food and enjoy it at the same time. And there was always one more attempt and always one more failure. 
So this is not a very pretty vision here, but this is my this is what my vision was like before working through this process. And thank God, you know, there is a solution. There's hope. So if you're listening this morning and this is where you are, you're in this hell hole, tell you what, we've got a ladder. We'll put it down the hole. It's called the 12 steps to get you out of where you are. And we're not normal folks. I'm not a normal folk when it comes to eating. I'm a real compulsive overeater. But thank you, God, for this program, and I don't have to be in this spot anymore. Thank you. With that, I pass. And thank you, Monica T. Okay, we have another group coming up. Who would like to begin to comment this on this Deanna chapter? Leah M. Deanna B. Leah M. Anyone else? Diane G. from New Hampshire. What page, please? Diane G. Yes, we're on page 151, the very first paragraph. Anyone else? Behind Diane G. I'm Anita J. Who is it? Anita? Anita J. Yes, I got a nice bunch. Okay, that's good. We got a nice bunch. All right, let's go. Deanna B., please go ahead. Go ahead, Deanna. Stop one to one mute. Oh, she must be having trouble. All right, we'll get back to her. Leah M., please go ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. Uh, It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It's joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. You know, I have to look back at my own eating history. Um, (laughs) And from a very young age, I mean, food was my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, my friend, my confidant, and a lover. Um, Even at the age of eight, um, I was planning... um, you know, going around the neighborhood with coins I had collected out of my mother or father's uh, wallets, uh, going around the community and getting binge foods, uh, looking in the local newspaper at an upcoming movie at the local theater, and sitting in a dark theater at the age of eight with surrounded by binge foods um, and binging my brains out, you know, um, there was a turning away, a turning inward and a turning away from the usual means of interaction and growth and emotional and spiritual development. There was a self-reliance and a self-sufficiency even at that young age. You know, in Bill's story, it says, you know, liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. And this was true for me from a very young age. It goes on to say there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control. And certainly I tried those controls and methods and remedies over the years, uh, you know, fasting and compulsive exercise and amphetamines and diet clubs and acupuncture and self-induced vomiting and, you know, gyms and personal trainers and supplements and therapy and psychologists, you know, somehow to um, break the chains 
of this food addiction that had started at such, such a young age. But, you know, the, the chains of the addiction were too soft to be felt until they were much too hard to be broken. By the time I realized that the talons of this disease had wrapped itself so tight around my neck, there was no way out of my own will that I was going to be able to break free from this. And, you know, the disease just kept continuing to progress because I could only think about what food would do for me and not think about what it was doing to me until through enough suffering and enough pain and enough degradation, this disease broke me down. I had to essentially die before I could be born again through the process of these 12 steps. And it a new vision did become a reality. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Oh, thank you so much. Leah M. Diana B., did you get, are you here? I'm back. Okay, good. Go ahead, Diana. Okay, thank you, Janice. This is Diana B., Grateful Compulsive Overeater Recovered for today. And, you know, God is really working in my life. And when we read this, uh, beginning to read a vision for you, I never, ever, ever thought that I would go through one day without anxiety of something I want, something I don't have, uh, some, I don't look right or whatever. And I, I, my phone was stolen, not when I was out of the country, but this last Friday. And I'm... It's unbelievable. All I thought of was how I was going to lose my pictures, maybe. And so I'm getting a replacement phone, and I found, and I do believe it was not me, because I wasn't looking for another phone temporarily. I found an old phone of which I'm having trouble with because I don't know how to get the screen back. That's what happened this morning. Uh, But... To, I digress, but it is, it's like things are happening that I never would have dreamed of. And when I was, uh, just so happened, I just came back from Italy, and I was concerned about the food before I left. Am I going to have problems? What kind? I haven't had wheat in two years, you know, and on and on and on. And I have to say, the first day, two days, in my mind, it said, you can just have one. And the other thought, which, of course, was not mine, was, sure you can. <laughs> You're not going to be able to stop. And so after the second day, I was free. I was free from it. I did not get down on myself for thinking it, which is something I've done all my life. And the disease comes in and says, well, look at you. You know, you might as well just chuck it off. And uh, so I just wanted to share that the vision for me, I I looked for lessons to be learned, and there were many lessons to be learned with my phone being stolen and what I can do without, Uh, plus the people I went with. It was so good to hear a recovering person. When I got back, I had problems with my phone. But anyway, besides that, I'm so grateful to be here and thanks so much for letting me share. And thank you, Deanna B. Okay, we if we take two more, and perhaps a couple of minutes apiece. 
Diane G. from New Hampshire. I think you just called me. I was unmuting. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. I did. Okay, thank you. A um, couple of minutes will be good. Okay, sure, then, no problem. Um, it was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did. You know, I that I once did, it was so long ago, I really don't even remember being normal with food. It's been so, so many years, and, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been, I've been tortured by this food for so long, um, I don't ever remember really enjoying it. But um, this past summer, um, I was going through the steps again, and I was driving, and I was dropped at a light, and this beautiful woman walked in front of me, very slender, eating an ice cream, and I thought, wow, that, that's what normal looks like, you know, um, she <laughs> She didn't care who saw her. She wasn't hiding it. She wasn't in her bedroom. She wasn't in the car. You know, she was just enjoying that ice cream. And I was like, that has never been me. My whole life, I don't ever, ever remember doing that, you know. And I always tried to stop. I always tried. That's my constant, my life, you know. It wasn't just Mondays. It was almost every day. And it was, you know, one more attempt and one more failure. And I'm so happy to say that I'm recovered today, not cured, but I am recovered, you know. Um, also, I have like a car in my driveway that needs to go to mechanics, and I went to clean it out after I became absent, and lo and behold, taste me was wrappers, candy wrappers, and all other kinds of wrappers and compartments that I I hid, you know, I hid in the car, I ate in the car, and nobody saw me eat, and I never was normal, I just don't ever remember, I was a thin child, but you know, I just don't ever, ever remember being normal with the food. And today, this, the steps have, you know, it, it has made me enjoy life. Like someone just said, you know, the, only, the way to enjoy life is, is to do the steps, you know. I really never had pleasure in the food, um, especially my drugs, my trigger foods. You know, and today I can say that I no longer do that for today. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you for the time, Diane G. Okay, Anita J., you're up. It's your turn. I can't went fast. Uh, this is Anita J., and let me quickly say, the line I'll focus on is that uh, it was uh, there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did. You know, that to me is revisionist history. If I'm looking back and trying to think of the good old days, I had a, I was almost like one of the rats in the maze when they're doing experiments and um, or with the dogs, intermittent feeding, because five days a week when I lived with my mother, there was no consistent food. And the weekends with my father, everybody felt so sorry for me, they just stuff me. Like mm-hmm. I could get uh, stuff, like a cow has a place, doesn't he, to uh, keep it there and then release it up <laughs> on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, that was, but is that why, is that why I've had a history, you know, that I am um, a compulsive reader? No. That was deep inside me from the beginning. It might have triggered it open. But that's it. I had it. I had it. I didn't become a gambler. No, I became a compulsive overeater. And um, 
I found out early that it was the solution. You know, I always thought it was the solution, but I never, ever shared that with anyone, and I heard it on these lines. This, these lines have affirmed so much that was deep within me all these years, and I didn't dare ever share it with anybody. But it was the solution, and I thank God there was. I just want last thing is my earliest childhood memory was going back and forth to the bread box, digging a hole. I was, however old you are, when you can get out of a crib and get paddled, because it was in the kitchen, how convenient, over to the bread box and tunnel into the Italian bread. That is my early, it was my self-soothing from, it was somewhere between two and three. It, it is there. It is always there. I am recovered. Thank you, God. But it's still there. And um, boy, I love this program more than I ever did all these decades. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Anita J. And thank you to everyone who has shared. You know, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Santa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Certainly. Janice, good morning, my fellow travelers. My name is Santa H. from New Jersey, a grateful recovered compulsive overeater for today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, we cannot transmit something we haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely in what you find and join us. And we will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.